going live now. Welcome, everybody, to this uniquely timed Tales from the Heart podcast. It is June 10th. It is about 425 in the afternoon on the East Coast. And today we're doing the podcast a day early because I'm going on vacation tomorrow. And I'm sorry I didn't check the schedule uh, before I scheduled my vacation. I am joined with uh, Dr. Martin Marin of Tufts Medical Center and Morristown Medical Center. And today on the podcast, we are going to talk about a topic that comes up a lot, exercise and HCM, how to know what to do. And we're going to take a deep dive. Marty, welcome to the podcast yet again. Hi, Lisa. And uh, hello to all the HCM patients. If Diana is out there tuning in, appreciate it. And also, Nice job on vacation. That sounds fun. Tahoe. It's great. A real vacation. Yes. Yeah. It's going to be awesome. Well deserved. Good. Uh, yeah. I, we've been doing a lot. I do yeah. have a really, really, really important announcement before we start today. Um, a big thing is happening next week. June is not my favorite month out of the year. A lot of people in my family have died from HCM in the month of June, including my dad, my sister, my grandfather. And June 16th is also the anniversary of when I had a stroke. June 16th is the day my sister passed away. So on June 16th this year, I tend to go into solitude on June 16th, but we have been working for a year and a half on building a brand new website and it is going to go live on June 16th. What better way to commemorate very difficult times in my family's life with HCM but to double down on education and activism and inclusion. So everybody go look at the website today. It looks good. Come back on June 16th and take a look at the website. It's a whole new world. Can't wait for y'all to see it. So with that being said, exercise in HCM. Should I sit on a couch because my heart's thick? Should I not ever play my favorite sport again? Really difficult conversations. Marty, should people sit on the couch? Yeah, this has been a, you know, this has been perhaps one of the most challenging areas in HCM in a way. Um, and I think part of, just to kind of frame it a little bit, part of the reason that this area has been so kind of confusing and there's been a lot of mixed messages, you know, kind of brings us to the, you know, back to the, the issue of that, you know, over the decades, HCM has been identified as an important cause of sudden death in young, highly competitive athletes. And those are obviously incredibly tragic and also very highly visible events. And I think you know, we can come back to that, but those th that those events, which became very closely associated with HCM in all of HCM from the beginning, were kind of extrapolated to mean that any kind of physical exercise is bad or puts patients at risk um, for something bad to happen, like sudden death. And the reality is that that's simply uh, one not true, um, and the. In fact, the guidelines, the professional recommendations for HCM, even going back to the first version of that, now 20 some years ago, never, never actually excluded patients from doing mild to moderate 
recreational level of physical exercise so that they could stay, you know, in shape, balanced physically and mentally. The focus was always about restriction or consideration to restriction in very intense, vigorous, organized competitive sports for which very few, very few HCM patients are interested in, in doing that level. So part of what got us, I think, off in a way off the wrong track and created a lot of confusion, not just among patients, but also among the practicing community, cardiology community, was the highly visible sudden death in athletes issue, which ultimately, unfortunately, got extrapolated incorrectly to almost anything physical, um, which just simply was wrong. Um, and 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 we 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 have um, you know I think over decades now, you know, done our best to try to rectify that. Um, and certainly in our visits, we um, are very clear with patients that you know, mild to moderate routine recreational level physical activity is, is safe and should be done. Okay. I'm going to unpack that a little bit. Yep. So number one, HCM is the leading cause of sudden death in young athletes in the United States. Based on the data that we have today, there are other conditions that can cause sudden death in athletes too. Mm -hmm. And the headlines read, HCM sudden death and everybody freaks out. <laughs> That's pretty much where we start. Right. Now it's a horrible, terrible event when any young person succumbs right. to any condition and dies. And we want to avoid that at all cost. However, there's a balancing act here. Who should not be playing competitive athletics when we're talking about HCM? You know, that, that's a question I'm going to pose to you. Should an adolescent be comp competing in high school athletics in a, you know, competitive environment with a diagnosis of HCM with a blanket statement, or is there room for individualized choice and decisions based upon the sport, the presentation of HCM, the family history, and the risk profile of the individual? How do we make that decision in the young? And then we'll talk about adults. Yeah. So in, in young, you know, in young HCM patients, I think what, you know, what I would say, and there can be differing opinion here, but I think the, in my view, the totality of the evidence and clinical judgment and intuition here would tell, would, would tell us, if you put all that together, that HCM can be associated with an increased risk of life-threatening rhythms when HCM patients are engaged in really vigorous, competitive-like environments, okay? Now, that means most, most, not all, but most competitive sports. You know, why is that? Probably because of, you know, the interplay or the interface of sort of a number of things coming together in that unique environment of organized sports. You have an HCM heart, which is structurally abnormal, you know, all the way down, right? All the way down to the cellular level. Sometimes in most patients too, there can be high pressures in the heart from obstruction. And so that abnormal, what we call it an abnormal substrate muscle structure in HCM, when it interfaces 
in a way with the unique environment of competitive sports where there is adrenaline sh uh, bursts, there is fluid and electrolyte shifts. Sometimes there is ingestion of sports enhancing, you know, drugs or, or uh, supplements. All of those things can come together to create a, 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 what we'll call a perfect storm in some situations where it lowers the threshold in that situation for a life-threatening rhythm. So that's what's happening in terms of what we've observed over decades now for why HCM continues to be the most common or one of the most common causes of sudden death on the athletic field is that unique interface of those issues. So for that reason, it's most competitive sports, you know, we uh, discourage um, for HC, young HCM patients. And we, we do that, by the way, actually in an effort as physicians and experts in HCM out of a spirit of safety, you know, to, 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 to preserve life and also the safety of the athletic field. Not, not, in, not in a narrative to necessarily uh, create negative downstream implications for, restriction, for, for that athlete that's restricted, but to keep the athlete, ATM athlete, safe. Okay. Let me stop there. Um, that's a, you know, yeah. That's a comp, it's a complicated area. It is you know, a complicated area. Especially adolescent males who are engaged in a, a sport from, you know, early childhood into teenage years and then having to pull them out. It's a very difficult time. It's a very complex situation. And just to be clear for this podcast, you're not going to get a yes, no answer definitive all the way around here. We're giving you things to think about here today. You need to work with your team. You need to look at all of the variables and we're parents making decisions at that case. Children can't make decisions for themselves here. We need the adults and the physicians and the scientists in the room to help them make good choices so that they can grow to be adults and make whatever decisions they wanna make as adults. So children have one set of consideration. I will talk for like two minutes on professional athletes because that's a whole other, that's contracts and that's sports management and that's a whole other legal level. So <laughs> what do we do with competitive athletes? Well, let me, let me say too, first, maybe just to make the point, this is probably the place to make that point that, you know, although there may be an increased risk, the, although risk is increased with HCM during competitive sports of an abnormal, potentially life-threatening rhythm, you know, there's been still a, 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 you know, a movement in a way to try to give patients, even young patients, perhaps what I'll call more autonomy in deciding whether they wish to return to the athletic field and play with HCM or not, okay? In medicine, we, 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 we've come to term, that the term for that is called shared decision-making, where the physician and the patient have a, an exchange, a bi-directional exchange of information and it discusses the strengths and limitations of the data and taking into consideration the values of the patient and their wishes and desires so they can become fully informed 
to allow them to make the best decision for them out of their own free will about which direction they wish to, 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 to choose. You know, that, by the way, that, that process of shared decision-making, we do that all the time in medicine and it works really well. But one of the limitations of, of that here in, in terms of the athlete with HCM is that we have to recognize for good or not that there is a third party that's involved here. And that third, we'll call the third institution, the third party, um, which is not part of normal patient-physician discussions about almost any other management area, but it is when we're talking about the athlete, because the athlete is often under the care, so I'll call it that, of the institution for which they may be residing. Okay. Colleges, teams. Colleges, high school, right. And there have been actually, you know, legal, the, the, the courts have weighed in on this, actually. And they have said that high schools and universities do have the final say as arbitrators, as long as they're making the decision about eligibility for the athlete in conjunction with, you know, using expert opinions and guidelines and, you know, the, the standard of care to help <clears throat> make a decision. But the, the challenge here is often that when you talk about this with the athlete with HCM about going about, about whether they want to go back and play, um, despite the fact that risk may be increased, you know, they often become very frustrated to learn quickly that the third party may not view it that way, the way they want to view it. So that makes this area even more challenging in a way, because it's not a purely autonomous free will process. There's, yeah, there, there's other considerations. There are. There are other people. There are. Um, I, I don't envy anybody having to make those decisions. They're tough ones. They are. These are a very teensy part of the HCM community. Right. The average HCM patient, number one, doesn't get diagnosed until their 30s or 40s. While they should probably be diagnosed a bit before that. So they've gotten through their sports through high school and college, and then they get diagnosed. So A, they survived it through high school and college. Some of them competing at very high levels. And now they're adults and they're told they have HCM. And some physicians, in my opinion, incorrectly to this day are saying, you have HCM, go sit down and don't do anything. Right. There are a few people who I put in what I call China doll mode, go sit on the shelf and look pretty until we figure you out mm -hmm. while we're figuring out what's going on with their HCM. But once risk assessment has been done and obstruction has been evaluated, what can the typical HCM patient do for exercise or recreational activity? Yeah, great question. So here's, here's, here's how I look at it. And this is what I tell patients, um, you know, that we want them to stay physically active so that they remain healthy. We don't, we don't want to trade one disease for another, okay? Because the patients become sedentary that they develop other diseases because of that. That's, that would be awful. We also want to keep them safe. So where is the balance? The balance, you know, we we have found resides somewhere kind of in this this area. Well, I'll call mild to moderate recreational level aerobic activity. So what I tell patients is, if they're going to go for a bike ride or they're going to go for a walk, um, that that at P, or they're going to go on their you know the the, the elliptical or the, the stationary bike, that they 
gradually work into the workup and that at peak exercise, they should be able to, if somebody was to theoretically next to them, for example, be able to complete full sentences without straining to do so, okay? At that level, they can go as long as they want in terms of duration of time. Again, remaining steady and even, avoiding, hopefully during that period of time, you know, what we call burst exertion, um, you know, the zero to 60 kind of interval training things, um, stay even and steady and they can go as long as they want. And then at the end, a nice cool down, essentially. And also we recommend obviously that patients really remain hydrated at all times, but particularly if they're going to get in a workout that, that that's obviously prudent. And then of course they listen to their body. If, if things aren't feeling right, or they're starting to develop a symptom, then at that level of mild to moderate non-competitive environment, they can stop easily, you know? I think that is a broad stroke a little bit, but I think gives guidance in terms of allowing patients knowing what to, to do that will allow them to be active enough to achieve, I hope, a good balance between physical fitness, mental health, and living safely with HCM. I'm going to do something that I don't typically do through podcasting, but I'm going to make this personal. Okay. So you looked at my echo in 2011, 12, somewhere around there and said, oh, your EF is dropped. And I said, oh, I'm going to get that. I'm going to get better. And we changed my medication. And I said, I'm going to go to the gym. What do you think? And you said, okay, go. Mm -hmm. And I went to the gym with a depressed ejection fraction, HCM. Mm -hmm. And I worked out and I became a gym rat for a couple of years. I have to admit, I'm not a gym rat anymore. I'm a walking rat, but not a gym rat. Um, and I pulled off a couple of pounds and mentally I felt better. And my heart did very well through that exercise. I pushed the envelope a little bit, tried to jog. My legs didn't, my knee and my ankle didn't like that. So that didn't happen much often, but I did push it. And I did try to exercise at a higher level and a higher level until I kind of found my peak and I found my stride. And I would go to the gym three and four times a week at that time. And I was feeling really good about it. I, I really liked it. Um, my, my orthopedic issues didn't like it, but my heart seemed to do well. The first five minutes were hell kind of breaking in. And then I could go for an hour and I'd be fine. But that first five minutes was very tough. And it took me a while to learn that that's what I needed to do. I needed to warm up slowly and then I needed to find my groove and then I could exercise as much as I wanted. Um, you fully endorsed that. Mm -hmm. We had conversations about it at the time. And, you know, in my family, we have big exercisers and lots of HCM and they do well um, from my father who was a golfer and what have you. And my sister, who is a bit of a gym rat, and my niece, my nephew, they, they, we all are active. My daughter is an equestrian athlete, mm -hmm. all with HCM and devices in many cases. Mm -hmm. um, I'm always a little confused when I hear people talk about the community that, oh, certain people are against exercise. I don't know any of them. And I know all the directors of all the HCM programs in the country. I don't know anybody who is against exercise in HCM. Competitive athletics is a slightly different story than being active and doing recreational activity. Um, so how do we get the message across to people that it's safe, but each person has to develop their own exercise routine in concert with their physician? 
How do we get that across? Well, I mean, I think, you know, you know, I think education, continuing to really emphasize to the general cardiology practicing community, education in terms of all aspects of HCM, including this area as well. Um, encouraging as well as you have been, you know, for a long time, have done an incredible job of building a network of HCM centers that almost anybody in the U.S. can practically access from, from where they live so that they can get you know, a valuation and, 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 and a recommendation that is in line with, with hopefully the guidelines and what we've been talking about that reflects the, the reality and the, and the truth of what we want to, to communicate um, with an HCM expert center. Um, and I think those are, you know, those are the things that, that are really important. I mean, it, things, that, things like this take time. You know, it takes a long time to reverse, in a way, some of the misconceptions that, you know, fell so hard um, from the earlier eras of, of, this, of this disease, these misconceptions related to what patients can or can't do. So I think with time and, and, and the enormous amount of education that is going on with HCM for a number of reasons here, that, that, that's, that I think things will improve in terms of that. I'm going to pause on that statement for a while and mm -hmm. give an observation of how mm -hmm. I see the HCM world lately. 25 years ago, when the HCMA started, I kind of felt like we were the island of misfit toys. We were all sitting there in our own misshapen forms and nobody really wanted to, to, to play with us. Well, the cruise ships have showed up at the island of misfit hearts, okay? And there are lots of people coming to the table saying, we want to teach people about HCM when they don't know a lot about it yet themselves. And they're all trying to learn and catch up because therapeutics are catching up with us. So it's a good time to be in the HCM arena. However, it's going to probably be a little bit more confusing before it gets solidified. Would you agree with my cruise ship analogy? There's no question about it. And I think you can be even more specific there because I mean, it's true is that big pharma is now involved in this disease in a way it's never been before because there are new therapies um, that are emerging, not FDA approved yet, but are, but, but are emerging that have the backing in a way of big pharma. And I can tell you that I've done, you know, more outreach and educational programs about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy intended for the practicing community in the last year that have been sponsored and driven by the, the, these companies than in total the last 20 years in total, okay? So however you want to interpret that, you, you'd have to conclude the landscape is changing in terms of education, for sure. And maybe there will be a more balanced approach. I consider myself Switzerland and, and trying to be very balanced about new innovation, what we know, right. old school philosophy, new ideas. And it really comes all together in the concept of what can I do? What am I safe to do exercising with HCM? Because all the fancy drugs in the world, devices, surgery, people want to know how to live their life every day. They want to know what's too much and what's not enough. And there's a person who's watching right now. Um, I think it's Joe. Um, she does CrossFit. She does half marathons. And she's like, my doctors are telling me I should back off of that. And I'm reminded of a patient that we talked to here on the podcast, Seth 
who was a hockey player and he kept, he still plays hockey. He still coaches and, and refs, I believe it is. And he just altered his level of activity and stayed in the thing that he loved. And maybe if Joe's being told CrossFit's a bit too intense and half marathons are a problem, maybe a 10K and lowering the intensity of the CrossFit and balancing that out. Is that a good way for people to think about balancing? Well, I think, uh, you know, without getting, you know, too into the, the weeds and those individual, just, you know, patients, you know, you know, with desires and wishes to, to do certain things. I think, I think the, the point is that, you know, what we're talking about almost always is modification, not elimination. Okay. Now, you, you know, patients need to hear a little bit more about what defines modification, depending on what they want to do, I think. But oftentimes, I think we can come to an agreement in, in a way in terms of feeling reasonably good that what, what is modified is still probably safe. Um, and that um, that's a discussion that you need to have with your, you know, perhaps with your HCM specialist in a way so that you get the right information, the right level of detail. You know, I think, I think, you know, just on that note for one second, I mean, I think that, you know, it's look, it's challenging. And I think patients recognize this. It's challenging to be very, very precise here. You know, I've always said, it's a difficult area to have a, a line in the sand, okay? For example, patients often ask, okay, I hear you about mild to moderate recreational activity. I should be able to have full sentences, but what about if I wear a heart rate monitor? I mean, what's the number That's that I can't go that. above, right? So, and I always say there is no number. I mean, we don't have a number for a lot of different reasons. And so, you know, we, we can't use a quantitative you know, bar like that. It's got to be about looking at it in terms of overall intensity in a way and doing the best that we can with trying to stay within those boundaries using, you know, using those recommendations and good judgment. But there isn't never going to be a precise exact line in the sand. Um, we, it's just not that kind of opportunity that we're ever going to be able to be that precise, okay? So not only can we not be that precise or, well, everybody's a little bit different. Mm. Environments are different. Heat, cold, density, hydration, sodium, magnesium, uh, uh, potassium levels, catecholamine, adrenaline. That's right. It's impossible. That's right. To know what's going on in the human body at every exact second. That's right. So there are tips and best practices. That's right. And there is advice. That's and right. And then there may be some with certain anatomies that are higher risk of having bad things happen, period. So that has to be taken into consideration as well. Right. So this is not a do it, don't do it. Here's exactly how to do it. It's a stepped process. That's right. As part of our old website, and I will be continuing it on our new website, there's a great educational module that was created by our colleagues up in Toronto, Exercise in HCM, and it has different levels. Right. It has a basic, it has a moderate, and it has an expert level. 
you can go on and watch the moves. If you want to learn how to do planks, if you want to learn how to do proper sit-ups, it's all right there and you can keep yourself fit. I think our focus should be fitness. I think our focus should be mental and physical fitness. That's right. And I got to tell you, a little stressed out last couple of weeks, a lot of work going on. I just needed to take a walk around town the other day and five minutes of a walk in my mental health was so much better. Yeah. So I think we need to understand the value of movement and the value of finding our balance. Right. That's right. Yeah. I mean, that's well said. Um, very well said. I, I think that maybe can't be said better than that, actually. So I, I agree a hundred percent. So I like something that you said before, it's modification versus termination. So we need to modify. We need to find what we like. We need to figure out what our body likes and we need to find that balance. And let me give you an example of that that just came up today. Somebody was asking me about yoga. Okay. And you know, you know, I, I, you know this, but you know, I actually love yoga. If you can believe that, I, I am a huge fan of yoga. I think we have your wife to thank for that, right? That's right. I love yoga. I was a, um, I was not a believer, but I am now. But take yoga for a minute. Patient asked, "What about yoga?" I said, "Yeah, you know, yoga is great." Um, you know, and then they said, "Well," so well, then I said, well, "Wait a minute. What kind of yoga are you actually talking about here?" And he said, well, I do, I do Bikram yoga. And I said, oh, whoa, 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 whoa. That's a whole other ball game because that's yoga for 120 minutes in 110 degree heat with, you know, whatever percent humidity. That's a completely different environment than flow vinyasa yoga in a normal studio. So there's a lot of, var- even within something like yoga, you know, there's an enormous amount of variability here in the environment. And perhaps for that reason, maybe risk. And so I think we need to, that's why you, you've got to have a conversation with your provider. It's, it's, it's a very individualized situation in that way. And, and, and so, you know, we've got to be thoughtful about that. I'm not saying, you know, I'm not saying, you know, yes to all yoga, but there may be lots of yoga that's good and fine. So, I love hiking. Right. And I'm going to Tahoe and I'm checking out my trails. Yep. And I see a trail that looks awesome and the views are amazing. Right. And the Incline. top elevation is yeah. 7,800 feet. I'm like, oh, hell no. Right. <laughs> it's not going to be working for me. I don't do yeah. elevation well and I don't have enough time to acclimate which is the other thing. You have to acclimate to your environment. You can't just go on vacation and hike at 8,000 feet and think you're going to be okay. That's right. You're not going to have the end that you want. Not even after not all trips. hiking is, is makes sense. So there's got to be, you've got to be thought, we've got to be thoughtful a little bit. That's all. We That's definitely right. need to be thoughtful. And um, Marty and I actually have a meeting to get to in three minutes. <laughs> And I'm sorry for a slightly abbreviated uh, conversation today, but it was an important one. And I think our take-home messages are as follows. Uh, Competitive athletics needs to be evaluated very carefully with consideration that there is a third party at play, the team, the school, the entity who is uh, sponsoring that activity. And you may not always get what you want in that answer. Um, But beyond that and professional sports, most people with HCM can live very active lives and do the competitive athletic or the, I'm sorry, the 
recreational athletics that they so choose within reason, with conversation with their healthcare team and making sure that their environment is as safe as possible. One item we did not cover, I don't think it's ever a good idea for somebody with HCM to be exercising alone. And if you have a gym, please make sure that they do have an AED, not that we intend on you using it, but you'd rather know that it's there if you do need it. So I think that's critically important that you exercise safely uh, with a partner. Uh, if you're going for a bike ride, go with somebody else. If you're going for a hike or walk, go with somebody else. It's just safer in general. Would you agree? Absolutely. hundred percent. Okay. Marty, we'll be seeing you back in a month for another topic. Um, and for those of you who would like to sign in later on tonight, we will be having a Big Hearted Warrior tour with um, Houston Methodist and Dr. Sharif Naga and his team. And that starts at uh, 6 p.m. Central, 7 p.m. Eastern. Um, so I'm going to go to a meeting. I'm going to go home. I'm going to finish my PowerPoint talk, and I'll see you back online in a couple of hours. As always, Marty, thanks for joining us on Tales from the Heart. Thanks for the opportunity. See ya. Thanks. Bye-bye. Thank you for listening to Tales from the Heart. For more information on HCM, we encourage you to visit our website at 4hcm.org. Join us online for the conversation on our Facebook page or in our private group. Facebook page can be found at Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association. And our Instagram handle is at 4hcmwarriors. That's the number 4hcmwarriors. Follow us on Twitter at 4hcm.org. For those members of the LinkedIn community, you may want to follow the conversation on the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association group. Join us today. To contact the Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association, you can call 973-983-7429. You can email us at support at 4hcm.org or visit us online at our website, 4hcm.org, and send us an email from there. The Hypertrophic Cardiomyopathy Association is located in New Jersey and operates on East Coast time. We would like to thank our sponsors, Myocardia, Invitae, Boston Scientific, and Cytokinetics for their support of this program. The HCMA is partnering with Myocardia, 23andMe, and others to help learn more about hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Learn more about these initiatives at 4hcm.org. Invitae, a genetic testing company and a sponsor of Tales from the Heart, is proud to provide free genetic testing to families with hypertrophic cardiomyopathy. Please learn more at 4hcm.org. Hey, we know life with HCM can be challenging, and support is critical. That's why the HCMA has created an online support group system to help you and your loved ones live better with HCM. Join us. The HCMA is seeking volunteers on a number of different projects, including our online support group system, our peer-to-peer, big-hearted friend system, and our legislative subcommittee. Please visit 4hcm.org to learn more today.